The way to think differently is to act differently and get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Welcome to the Unlearn Podcast, where host Barry O'Reilly seeks to synthesize the superpowers of extraordinary individuals into actionable strategies you can use to think big, start small, and learn fast, and find your edge with excellence. Here's your host, Barry O'Reilly. Welcome to the Unlearn Podcast. And here we are at the end of 2020. And this end of season show, Ask Me Anything, where I'll take 10 questions from listeners who've sent them in from all over the world, is now becoming a bit of a tradition. It's a chance for me to sort of reflect in many ways. It's a little bit of a retrospective, but what a year it's been. It's been a pleasure to do this show. Actually, it's been one of the highlights for me, having a chance to speak with phenomenal leaders all over the world who are willing to share lessons that they've learned and unlearned with everyone. And this is sort of like my practice, my personal development. I feel like I get so much out of it. You know, I started this podcast really to help people hear the stories of people I was working with or interesting characters, I think, that are doing things differently. And it's been a real pleasure to see not only the show resonate with people, but the show grow. We're now up to 50,000 listeners worldwide. Um, One of the goals we had was to try and get a thousand downloads for each show in the first 30 days. We're we're doing that now in the first week. That means that every show we publish is in the top 20% of all podcasts listened to globally within the first seven days of release. So it's pretty phenomenal, amazing growth. We're excited and it's really encouraging us to keep going. You know, we've listeners in North America, 42% or 34% in Europe, 18 in Asia. 13% in South America and three in Africa. So it's a truly global audience. 55% are executives. We actually have 51% female listeners and 49% male. So it's, it's such a broad, eclectic group that we have here listening and it's really a real joy. So we're looking forward to the year ahead, 2021, bringing more great shows to you. And we'll kick off with a fantastic show with Annette Gabrielle, who's a senior HR leader at PepsiCo to share her stories of helping to drive change there. But for now, we're going to dive straight into these 10 questions. The team create these questions for me. It's pretty rapid fire. Going to go through them as quickly as I can and yeah, see where we end up. So I hope you enjoy the show. I hope you have a good holiday season. Do have a rest. People need a rest after this year. And I'm looking forward to seeing you all in 2021. Let's go. What was the most important characteristic that helped you lead through COVID uh, from Jane in London? So for me, maybe interestingly, I think patience is a word that has really come to mind for me. And it's giving myself and the team time really to adapt and figure out new ways forward. You know, I'm a very action-oriented person. I like to take steps to learn my way through challenges. But I think one of the things I've really had to recognize is being patient taking my time, understanding that things are going to be tough. And this isn't just at work. You know, I think at home it's been very similar for me. We have two small kids sort of dealing with helping them get through the time that we're all stuck at home. It's been challenging, but I think that's sort of been one that's really stood out to me is making time, giving myself time to relax, to consider, to not always be so jump into things and be patient, let things sort of emerge, work themselves out. That's probably been one of the most important steps for me and it's been tested, but we've got there. 
As a leader, what advice would you give to your younger self if you managed such an accelerated period of change? That's from Carolyn in New York. Well, I think one of the things that's most important for me at the moment is picking one new thing to learn and do it every month. So something I read about, something I can share what I've learned with people. I always try to create something to help me really understand how it works. So learning by doing. And I think the topic area specifically for me that has been a huge focus this year has been around artificial intelligence. So I'm currently writing two papers, actually, one with Bill Higgins, who leads the IBM Watson team. He's in charge of creating and building out their artificial intelligence and machine learning capabilities. We're going to be publishing that paper in the new year, which I'm really excited about. I've also been working with Thomas Sorison, who is the CEO of Futu Rice and Global Consulting Company. And we've been spending time digging into information portfolios. So moving away from thinking about products, but actually thinking about the information that products create and then using that to understand when's the right time to invest and launch in new products. So this has been a sort of fascinating experience for me to really go deep into that topic area and learn everything about the challenges we face from biases already being baked into a lot of the algorithms that we are creating. How do you create training data sets? Where are they coming from? Labeling and tagging data, the challenges that go with that. So it's been a truly sort of fascinating space for me. And I think what you're going to see a lot more from me next year is really sharing all that back with you, the things I've learned and unlearned about how to even build software in that domain. So very excited about that. But I think it's really important to focus in on areas that you do want to try and learn. And Gibson Biddle, who was actually on the show, who was the chief product officer of Netflix last year, you know, he had a great method that definitely thought about a lot is, you know, every week he would try and learn a new topic and he would do a presentation on a Friday back to his team, whether that was about metrics or a new technology or a new tool. And it was a great forcing function for him to sort of focus on a topic area. So, you know, very much that's the sort of pattern I use where I try and pick an area that matters to me that I want to learn, uh, focus on it for a month, and then I try and create something. And you're all going to see that next year, which should be fun. What's the biggest shift for you personally in your approach to leadership this year, mainly in Beijing? I feel like the first few years of my business, I did everything manually because I wanted to really understand how this business worked understand the bottlenecks, the challenges, the accounting, marketing, delivery, etc. All of these things I wanted to really understand how they worked. Because I'm building a business, I think long term. And for me, one of the reasons I actually started my own company again is I wanted to sort of learn these areas, learn more about how to do accounting, how to market better. And so I think that the first sort of start of the company was very much focused around that. But now I very much got over to start handing things over to my team or automating areas that I know can be automated and also finding the areas that I really have the most leverage. Like Where can I have the most impact? And for me, it's very much about for creating content and to share with people that content creation is really based from the delivery work that I do. And doing the delivery work is how I learn, trust or try things out. And then creating that content is sort of the the data exhaust of what I've learned to share that back with people. And that helps bring more people in to the ideas that I'm interested in, or I find new people and connected to them. So 
I think that's probably the biggest shift for me is really focused on doing uh, my delivery work or, or coaching or working with these phenomenal clients and then creating the content or experiences that I've learned from that, synthesizing them and sharing them back. And then the production uh, as much as possible is automated. I have fantastic team of sort of gig workers all over the world that help me uh, create and scale this business. So it's been a real pleasure to sort of find those people. And they're everywhere. You know, there's people in Philippines, there's people in Europe, there's people in Croatia, there's people. It's such a global team now at this stage. And uh, it's been really fun to sort of not only connect all those individual workers into a team, but I think that's sort of been the big step for me. What are the key traits and habits that leaders need to adopt to lead in this new world of work? Gordon in Dublin. Well, I think this uh, notion of comfortable with being uncomfortable. I think I have to get this written up and put on a plaque beside my desk or something like this, because it's one of the most important things for me. I think when I was writing on Learn, that was the thing that really stood out to me, that the people who cultivate that characteristic within themselves really move ahead, right? Like they're constantly finding the edges of their skills and pushing it further. And that's really inspiring to me. And, you know, this year, if anything, has taught us a lot about the challenges that we face. Change is only going to happen planned, on unplanned, and we need, really need to be ready for it. And I think that's one thing I've not only had to practice, but help people with as well, is getting them comfortable with trying new things. And when you give it a go, when you actually build this muscle of trying new things regularly that are outside your comfort zone and change doesn't become as scary anymore you're calm for it you're ready for it you actually anticipate being able to sort of sense and respond to things and I think that's uh, really helped me actually through this period I talked about being patient at the start and that's actually really powerful because I don't react. I'm not in reactionary mode, actually, when things are changing and panicking. I feel like I'm, I'm balanced, I'm thoughtful, and that helps me then just sort of let the information arrive and understand what challenges we're facing and hopefully make some good decisions around that. And so I think that's one of the most important things. It's okay to be comfortable, being uncomfortable, and then just work my way through it. You often talk about collaboration fit. Can you elaborate on it? Juliana in San Francisco. Yeah, so this notion of collaboration fit is pretty important to me. And um, more and more what I've found it, it's actually key to success. I often find, you know, when I'm talking to people, I very rarely focus on what we're going to do or what we're going to build. It's actually about finding, like, is this the right person for me to work with? Do they hold the same values, the beliefs, the principles that I believe in? to help us be successful when we face difficult circumstances, because you're always going to face difficult circumstances when, you know, you're doing any initiative, you know, like I've seen this many times from building products and launching products or working with startups and everybody has a very optimistic view of the world when you first meet them. But this work is hard. You know, there's difficult decisions to be made. There's times where you're going to have disagreements like understanding how people respond in those situations are probably the most important. And I can think even too in the startup world that I can talk about, just Agile Craft, which is a company that I sat on the board of and was recently purchased by Classian this year. You know, straight away when I met Steve, the founder, one of the things we actually talked about was not what the product was about or how it was going to be built. It was talking about how he built a team, what type of people he looks for, 
he would say hungry, smart and humble was it were his words. And so instantly straight away, I was like, OK, there's something unique about his leadership style that that resonates with me. And that was sort of a really important moment for me to sort of say, OK, this person is used to working through uncertainty and challenge and he wants to do it the right way. That really stood out to me. So finding these sort of collaboration fits are really important. Another one is just three things. So Kim, who's a female founder, is fantastic OKR platform. You know, straight away, the way we found out if I was a good person to be on their board and work with them wasn't just meet each other and sign and off I go. We actually worked together for three months just as a sort of test trial period, first of all, to see was I the right person to work with them and help them? But for us to learn about one another, about our working styles, our strengths, our weaknesses, how we could help one another or not. And, you know, that was a sort of way for us to test our collaboration fit. Um, and it's been phenomenal to work with her. Now the you know, business is starting to grow and get bigger and bigger clients. It's a very exciting time, but, you know, it's taken us a year and a half to get there, but it's there's tough conversations along the way and we're growing. So I think, again, getting down to those areas of, is this the right person that I can work with? I often have startups reach out to me. One did last week where, you know, they have these great ideas, very hopeful, great products that they want to work on. But when I sort of asked them tougher questions about, you know, tell me a time where you've had to make a tough decision or you disagreed as a team and how you resolved it, or they don't want to face those sort of questions. And I think that's sort of a big signal for me. And it's actually even the, you know, when I do my advisory work as well, one of these questions I look for a lot is, you know, when I ask people these questions like, you know, have you tried everything you can think of and you're getting no traction? What happens? Are you ready to try something new and different? Do you really want to create lasting change about how your business works? Get outside your comfort zone, you know, tackle the really difficult problems that are blocking your progress, like what are they? When's the last time you made a mistake? What did you learn from it? How did you respond? You know, you want to partner with people who will work closely with you and the teams at all levels that activate your thinking and your ways of working. And I think that's what I look for now more and more is not what we're going to do, but who are these people and how are they going to sort of work together in those difficult moments do we believe in the same things to get work done? And I think that's probably been the one of the most powerful parts for me. What's your most interesting video conference experience of 2020? AJ in Melbourne. Well, this is a bit of a classic one. Literally last week, I was interviewing Stuart Butterfield, who's the CEO of Slack, just after they had done Salesforce. And we were doing this sort of executive events together. And I was there on the call, myself and Stuart, and introducing what the event was about with Slack and why people were there and how important it is to be exec at the moment and how you lead through uncertainty. Talking through the agenda, we we're just ready to kick off. And I asked Stuart his first question. And just as he opened his mouth, his screen froze. And then it sort of stayed frozen. And then the video service that he was on crashed and just went dead. And I was sort of left there on my own, just sort of staring into the camera with all these execs of like massive businesses all over the world just sitting there going, right, how do we handle this one? Which was pretty funny. So sitting there for a couple of moments trying to keep people entertained while we sort of figured out the technical solutions and spun up again was pretty funny. So 
especially at that moment. So that was definitely, I thought Bezos having to unmute himself when he was speaking to the US government about was a moment that mightn't be topped. But I think doing that one with Stuart got pretty close to it. So that was pretty funny. What about your principles for work, Cheryl Austin? Yeah, so this is actually really top of mind for me at the moment too as well. It, business is sort of five years old, literally this year. And it sort of made me think that I should go back and sort of evaluate some of the things that I was sort of looking at um, and like write down some of my principles. People actually ask me a lot on the show that show talks to or speaks to principles um, quite a lot. So how do I sort of synthesize them down into something that I find actionable and workable? So here's a couple that I jump out to me. If explore your edge. The first one is like, it's innovation does happen at the edge, uh, the thresholds of our knowledge, our skills, our capabilities. I want to explore my edge and the edges of my capabilities, the edges of what I know, and because I want to get an edge. And that's sort of one of my little hacks in life is that's how I differentiate myself is because I keep learning these new little things that make me different, that keep extending my edges of, of, and being deliberate about where I want to go. It's one of the reasons that I do this every month, pick a topic I want to learn and focus on it, because it just helps me find what my edge are, my skills, my capabilities and growing them. And I think that's really important, both whether you're building products or trying to do innovation work in general. Embracing uncertainty. So again, I just see uncertainty as opportunity, you know, but to grab it, you have to act. It's not waiting and seeing what happens. I think when we even entered the beginning of this COVID crisis, you know, so many businesses were stopping, pausing and not doing, waiting and seeing what happened. And they're the ones that have struggled because in uncertainty, you have to learn your way through the uncertainty. You have to take the small steps to figure out what works and what doesn't. And writing the case study I did with Tesco's bank in the UK about the profound sort of impact taking these small steps into the unknown actually had not only on solving their problems, but changing the culture about the way that they worked, that leaders recognizing they didn't have to have all the answers was actually one of the most powerful parts for them. And I think that is such an important part of this. Uncertainty is opportunity. And so embrace it. And I think you'll see the results. Uh, stay curious is another one. Curiosity is the key for creativity. Feeling slightly uncomfortable, vulnerable in some respects is the key to growth. So finding those little ways to stay curious, to keep recognizing things you need to do differently. Or when you hear somebody say something that seems odd to you, try it. Actually, Kent Beck, who was the first person I ever had on the show, said a quite great thing to me once. He goes, whenever I see a model that I think is wrong, that could never work, isn't totally possible. The first thing I do is try it and see how it works. And I just love that notion. If it feels wrong, do it and then make sure it is wrong or be open to it being right. And I think most of the breakthroughs I've had are often counterintuitive steps that I would never have taken myself. So I think that's a really important part. Learning and let go. I think Innovation isn't just about new stuff. It's also adapting and letting go on, on learning stale habits. And I think that's one of the things I probably need to even get more deliberate about is even just capturing some of the like little transitions that I'm making, understanding when a skill that worked for me this year is actually not working for me anymore and why I need to make that change. And the switch to remote work is probably a really great example of this. I think 
many of the sort of people that I've worked with, especially senior leaders, you know, I ended up writing a blog about this, like why you're not profiting from remote productivity, because many people were just copying and pasting the skill sets that they use to lead teams in person to the remote world. And it doesn't work like that. So they were struggling, you know, like they kept asking for information. How's that project going? And because the way that they would manage people is by visual cues. Is the team active when they're in the office or do people look visibly stressed or very confident when they're doing their work? And when all those mechanisms went away in in remote work, then they start asking for more information, you know, how things are going and booking meetings. and, And that actually takes people away, their time away from focusing on the work. So I think this sort of notion of just learning to get information in different ways, that doesn't mean that you have to pull people out of their work to just update you all the time, I think is something to really be aware of. And think about how you can use other mechanisms, whether they're asynchronous communication platforms, different ways that people can update, or just trust people to reach out for help when they need it. I think that's probably the most important thing. Another one for me is actually starting with yourself. You can't necessarily change a product or a company without changing what you think, the people who work on it think, or, but mostly changing yourself. And there's so many great examples of this that I get to sort of experience. Without a doubt, one of my favorite this year was Christian Metzer, who's the CIO of Volkswagen Financial Services. Many people would sort of say to him, oh, it's easy to be a CIO. You just sort of sit in meetings all day and you don't really have to do anything. So he sort of challenged himself and the team and he said, right, well, why don't I let someone be CIO for the day? And he did. And this engineer won the opportunity and went around and Christian followed him around in all the meetings. And he um, acted by the CIO and observed how the real CIO sat in the back of the office and observed the changes that were happening. And halfway through that day, they actually had an outage. And he still persisted with him doing the role. And I think that's really powerful for your team when you're sort of role modeling these behaviors and inspiring others. So that's another great podcast that people should check out. His culture hacks are really, really good. Learn by doing. Yeah, so trying it and making mistakes isn't failure. Doing nothing is. And again, another really inspiring sort of podcast for me this year was the one I did with Stephen Lesson, who's the VP of Customer Technology at American Airlines, the world's largest airline. And you can imagine in a pandemic how that industry has been hit in ways that they just never could have anticipated. At the beginning of 2019, I got to spend some time with Stephen and his team. And what really struck me about them is that they recognized that the existing ways that they were working were not working. They called out on themselves that they needed to take a different approach. And you can't learn this stuff in a training course or certifications or you've got to sign up to take a different path, to work in a different way. And a lot of the skills you're going to learn, you can only do by doing it. And I think the story that they have got to now, even during a pandemic, they went from big company thinking big, big releases that were always slow and late and under delivered to radically changing the way they work, thinking big, starting small these tiny little changes that they make continuously into production. They were deploying every two weeks, which is phenomenal, but then they challenged themselves to say, could we deploy every change we make to production? You know, and now if you go to aa.com, the main website for American, you know, they're doing 30 changes, I think every week. And it's allowed them to respond to problems in the pandemic. You know, they rolled out 
contactless kiosks, like, you know, two, over 2,000 of them literally within a couple of weeks once the pandemic hit and making people safe. So it's been phenomenal to see some of the things that are, people are possible of doing. And that means being brave, right? Building in bravery. Um, good leaders design and model ways of working that encourage others to feel comfortable, to be brave over being feeling fear, to seek excellence over trying to have everything perfect. And it does take bravery in some respects to take some of these bold steps. But everyone can be brave by starting making them smaller. And smaller is always much, much smaller than people think. The other things then I would always say is try and be nimble. Uh, think about how you can adapt as quickly as possible and design to be nimble when you're thinking about your systems. Amazon famously have their two-way doors, you know, reversible doors is what they would often talk about, or smaller experiments. Think about that and ask good questions. You know, smart isn't having all the answers. It's finding the right questions and having systems to help you find the answers. So I think that's really important for me. Because the way you win is the best information wins. You know, the business or the people or teams that gather, interpret and use the best information, make the best decisions. So I think there are some of the principles that I'm really sort of dived into. What is one change you have made to help you beyond 2021? Going back again to this idea of finding out where I have the most leverage in the company is by far and away the biggest change I've made. And that is about creating and sharing uh, content, especially with people in the community. You know, like that's what's unique about me, I think, is the stories, the opportunities I have of doing interesting work with fantastic people and then sharing really my lessons learned from that, not only to help me understand what I'm doing, but to find more people who care about that topic and connect with them. That's really all I'm doing. You know, I do my the work and then my retrospectives or talking to people about it or writing about it, what I've learned, what I did wrong, what I wouldn't do again. And then just finding different ways to share that information, sort of data exhaust with people. So first of all, I started blogging and now we have this podcast and um, you'll definitely start to see me create lots more video type content, I think, in 2021. So just experimenting with different ways that I can channel so that I can reach people in the way that they like to consume information. And it's sort of fun for me to experiment with new platforms. So that's one thing I'll be looking at. What's the most important research you've discovered this year? I think the most interesting research I found this year was related to the impact potentially of COVID on innovation. This has been kind of really interesting to me. So whenever you want to learn something, Ray Dalio, who wrote the amazing book Principles, he is a student of the past. And he would often say that many things that have happened today have often happened in the past. And if you study and look at the past, you'll start to see these patterns and how they sort of replicate again and again. And one of the most interesting papers I found was actually looking at when there are these sort of recessionary moments especially over sort of the last 20 years, what impact has it had on innovation? So the dot-com bubble at the end of the sort of, or the beginning of the 2000s or the subprime mortgage crisis, it's a naive indicator, but it is a leading indicator is the amount of patents that are registered during uh, recessions. Some people would say anyway, the rate of patents being registered is sort of going down. But if you look at the data specifically around and leading up to recessions, when a recession hits, the patent numbers actually sort of 
stagnate. They either stay very, very flat or in most instances they go down. And they go down for, in most instances, for up to three years after the event. And then in the fourth year or year five, there's this like massive sort of explosion. So it's kind of, this pattern is sort of persisting, right? Like we've seen literally from 2016 to 2019, the rate of patterns were sort of flattening and naturally. Uh, But now we've had this massive shock event in 2020, which means that we could actually have a much more extended period. Yeah, for the subprime mortgage in 2007, 8 and 9, sort of remain flat and then you had this sort of explosion. So I think the COVID crisis should impact a number of patent filings until 2022 in many respects. So I think what we're really going to see is this sort of explosion. It's almost like people have to synthesize and recover and understand the context. And then there's this sort of explosion of innovation that happens. And so I'm really kind of curious to start like sifting my way through that. And if anybody's interested, there's some really good papers around that. Baker Botts is, is one that I read on five predictions on how COVID's financial crisis will impact patent prosecution. It's just one of them. There's so many of these different sort of sources that are exploring this topic and people are nervous, like businesses are nervous. People aren't in the same room. Those water cooler conversations allow a unique convergence of ideas to happen. So I think trying to recreate those scenarios and products is going to be pretty challenging for many companies, but that's definitely one of the things that I'm really tracking at the moment is the impact of this sort of the um, COVIDs or recessions on innovation. So yeah, look out for that paper too as well. All right, last question. Nice. Okay, got to 10. Well done, Barry. What is your favorite book you've read this year? Suli in Shanghai. First and foremost, I think educating myself around the Black Lives Matter movement was also helpful and really shocking in many ways. And I think the book that really stood out or was most helpful to me was How to Be an Anti-Racist. And the thing that was most powerful about it was it gave me a language that I had not been able to use before to describe systemic racism and how it exists. It also helped me sort of recognize areas within myself where I was either contributing to those systems or not calling them out. And that was extremely sort of uncomfortable for me, actually, in many ways to recognize how I'm contributing to systemic racism or how I can start to be aware of it and try and deconstruct it or make better choices around it. You know, many people feel like they don't have a way that they can contribute. But I think being aware and seeing how systemic racism exists in society, it's a real thing. But being able to see it and having a language to describe it, that that only really came to me by reading that book. And some of the small little changes that I have tried to make are, you know, I don't speak at events that are all male panels or don't have a broad representations of minorities involved. And I always try to sort of recommend underrepresented groups first to conferences or podcasts when people reach out to me. You know, I've actually created a Google Doc that I will share in the show notes of where you can find people who are not necessarily white to, you know, do design for you, to build products for you, to collaborate with you, to speak at your conferences. And I think that was one small, like, little step that I tried to make. And it's not easy. Um, I've made a ton of mistakes, but I'm learning how to have these conversations and hopefully 
and improve at them over time. But I think that's definitely one step that I've tried to take. But there's also one other book that I really enjoyed that a friend of mine, Chris Kovac, who lives in Chicago, gave me. He is the very definition of the circle economy, this man. We worked together a number of years ago and become good friends. And one of the books he read that really recommended to me was Strong Towns, sort of a bottoms up revolution to rebuild prosperity by Charles Maron. And it's sort of like systems thinking for urban planning and city architecture and design. It's a book of like forward thinking ideas that breaks with many sort of modern Britons, presents a new vision about what urban development could be like. And I think for someone like me, just really was so interesting to consider systems thinking and design in how towns are built, how they emerge, how towns start small and scale up into these massive entities as they see greater signal of prosperity or viability. And it was really interesting for me to sort of take that analogy of how I often build products and work with teams into this situation of designing and building cities. So really explains why cities of all sizes continue to struggle to meet actually many of the basic needs. But it also talks about how we can solve these long-standing problems. So I highly recommend it. If you want to read something, you know, that might be a little work-related, but it's a very different focus, I think that's a great one to talk about if you're trying to design and influence organizational or complex adaptive systems. So there we go. I did it all. Hey, right. I did 10 questions in hopefully about under 40 minutes, which is the magic time for the show. So again, I just want to thank you all for listening to being part of the journey. I'm looking forward to sharing more stories with you in 2021. And as ever, if you have any ideas about how we could make the show better, what we could be doing more of, who you'd like to hear more from, don't be afraid to reach out. Have a great and restful end of the year. Thanks very much.